This is KYUK Public Radio for the Yukon-Kuskokwim Delta. I'm Evan Erickson. The Federal Bureau of Land Management has completed a whirlwind tour of Alaska, collecting public input on the potential removal of protections for roughly 28 million acres of wilderness lands throughout the state. Residents of Kuskokwim River communities who depend on much of the land in question say far too much is at stake and that protections must be maintained. Here's a report. As early as this summer, the U.S. Department of the Interior will issue its decision on whether to lift or maintain protections for 28 million acres of Alaska lands, known as D1 lands. While supporters of opening the lands, including the mineral extraction industry, Alaska's Republican senators, and the state of Alaska itself, say it is long overdue, more than half of the 229 federally recognized tribes in Alaska say the move would directly threaten indigenous ways of life. Over the past two months, officials from the Bureau of Land Management traversed the state gathering public input for an environmental impact statement that will ultimately determine the status of the lands in question. On February 13th, they made the final stop of their tour in Bethel, where dozens showed up to voice their opposition to withdrawing protections. Most, like Bethel elder Walter Larson, spoke about the risks of opening the door to future development. We can't eat gold. I can eat moose, caribou fish, ducks, and geese. I can eat those and I can live off of them. So please, listen to us. At least, at least listen to us. The majority of the 28 million acres lie in the vast western reaches of the state, with portions overlapping the range of the declining western Arctic caribou herd and others located along the massive Yukon and Kuskokwim river systems that serve as the lifeblood of the region. Charlie Charlie of the Lower Kuskokwim River community of Tuntatuliak spoke in Bethel about how he had lived through the Alaska Native Claims Settlement Act, but had only recently become aware of the D1 lands issue. Charlie works as a Yuktun interpreter for KYUK, but attended the meeting in his capacity as an individual. We were young people when, uh, when ANGSA was uh, developed. I was eight years old at that time. I didn't know there was uh, a land that has been set aside for future development. We're always going to be here. We are here still. And my kids are here still. And they still eat uh, what I'm eating right now. Of the 19 public hearings held by the Bureau of Land Management, only two took place on the Kuskokwim River, in Bethel and the upriver community of Antioch. Bethel elder Gloria Simeon said in the Bethel hearing that the federal government has a duty to better inform and seek input from residents of the region. The BLM also has an obligation to conduct hearings in every village, in, abutting, around, downstream from, and downhill from these D1 lands. As noted in the findings of a draft environmental impact statement released in December, tribes could see a loss of a federal subsistence priority in cases where the state gains ownership of previously protected lands. Simeon expressed her distrust of the state's intentions supporting the opening of the lands, which Governor Mike Dunleavy has criticized as being, quote, locked up as de facto parks. The state of Alaska gets good money for selling our resources to non-natives, and that's what they want to turn us into, is beggars on our own land because we can't afford to pay the market fee to feed ourselves. The BLM will consider four possible recommendations or alternatives ranging from leaving protections in place to partially or completely removing them. 
The third option, known as Alternative C, would only remove barriers to development for around 8 million acres of land considered to have high mineral potential. At the hearing in Antioch, resident and fisheries biologist Dan Gillikin noted that thousands of those acres lie in an area of critical salmon spawning habitat feeding the Kuskokwim River, known as the Halitna Basin. It provides probably close to 30% of all the, all the salmon within the Kuskokwim drainage. If anything, it is a jewel in the crown of the Kuskokwim River. I believe it should receive uh, as much protection as possible. Antioch resident Emery Fairbanks-Deal also criticized the idea of opening up D1 lands in the region, citing the fact that cleanup efforts are still ongoing for highly toxic projects of the past on the Kuskokwim River like the Red Devil Mine. How can we possibly be considering opening up BLM lands for further development when we can't even afford to clean up the current abandoned mines directly on our river? Multiple people who came out to voice their concerns in both Bethel and Antioch noted that the D1 lands issue was difficult to wrap their heads around. Antioch resident Amanda Holt said that elders with limited command of English had been left out by the lack of translated materials made available by the BLM. Having none of these translated to any of our traditional languages, not even Yupik, which is one of the most widely spoken traditional languages, is frankly unacceptable. Attending the Bethel hearing remotely, BLM Alaska Project Manager Rachel Jones said that in addition to the 19 public meetings, her team had contacted all of the tribes within the scope of the study area by phone, mail, and email, and had publicized the issue via social media and in local newspapers. While the comment period for the environmental impact statement has passed, Jones noted that the door is not closed for tribal concerns to be heard. Uh, I will also say that ANCSA corporations and tribes um, can consult with the Bureau of Land Management on this project at any time that they choose. Even if Secretary of Interior Deb Holland does decide this summer to leave protections for the 28 million acres in place, Jones acknowledged that the long-term fate of D1 lands is anything but certain. I cannot predict what future administrations, you know, what their priorities will be and what they will direct the Bureau of Land Management to evaluate, or I, I can't speak to the future. While tribes and community members from across the state are also left wondering what the future holds, comments made in Antioch and Bethel appear to indicate that when it comes to preserving traditional ways of living, residents of the region do not see removing D1 protections with optimism. A proposal out Thursday from the U.S. Department of Interior would add three Alaska Native subsistence users to the Federal Subsistence Board. The board manages fish and wildlife for subsistence use on federal lands and waters in Alaska. As KYUK's Emily Schwing reports, the department says it's looking to strengthen the board with additional tribal representation from Alaska. When it comes to subsistence, Alaska is unique. Nowhere else in the United States is there such a heavy reliance upon wild foods. That's according to the Department of Interior's Federal Subsistence Board website. A lot of people think that uh, subsistence has no value. Myron Nanning Sr. lives in Bethel. He's a member of the Federal Subsistence Board's Yukon-Kuskokwim Delta Regional Advisory Council. For many of our people in the YK Delta, as well as throughout the state, 
adds uh, supplements a lot of the food that might be bought from the stores. Store-bought food, he says, is lacking in nutrition and can be astronomical in cost. So he welcomes the idea of adding more tribal representation to address subsistence issues throughout Alaska. I think it's about time. They should have done it a long time ago. Because right now, not every part of the state is represented on the Federal Subsistence Board. Currently, the Federal Subsistence Board includes eight members. Five represent federal agencies. Three are members of the public. According to a press release, the Interior Department wants to add three more seats, which would be held by Alaska Natives who possess personal knowledge of and direct experience with subsistence uses in rural Alaska. The proposed change would also require the chair of the board to have personal knowledge of and experience with rural subsistence uses. The Interior Department did not immediately respond to requests for comment on the proposal. Nanning says adding subsistence users to the board spotlights food security issues across the state and specifically in communities on the YK Delta, where salmon populations have been declining for decades. Right now, uh, there's really no one that sits on the federal subsistence board that can bring up uh, the issues that we're having on the Yukon and the Kuskokwim and that are also impacting the villages along the coast. I think it's, you know, it's safe to say that the salmon crisis is is a statewide issue. Jonathan Samuelson is the chair of the Kuskokwim Intertribal Fish Commission, an organization that represents the subsistence fishing interests for 25 rural villages along the Kuskokwim River. He says the Interior Department's proposal gives him hope. I think it can get results because it could change the outcome of a vote or a decision made by the Federal Subsistence Board and change it in a way that allows for that deep understanding and knowledge to really be a factor in the decision-making because the current construct of the Federal Subsistence Board doesn't provide a lot of a lot of avenue for that deep knowledge to get to the table. In an emailed statement, U.S. Representative Mary Peltola applauded the proposal and said traditional knowledge is crucial to effective management decisions. There's a 60-day comment period on the proposal. According to one Interior Department official, the agency hopes to have the new seats filled by September. In Anchorage, I'm Emily Schwing. This is KYUK News. I'm Evan Erickson. Kuyana for listening. Please share your news tips, comments, or suggestions. You can email us at news at kyuk.org or message us on Facebook. And stay tuned for Yuktun Ganumchit coming up. <laughs> <laughs>